If you have a Bible, I want you to, our primary text this morning is actually going to be Isaiah 55. So if you'll find Isaiah 55, but before we get into Isaiah 55, I want to show you something briefly from the chapter we've been studying for a few weeks, and that's Luke 8. I just want to point out something briefly from Luke 8, and then Isaiah 55 will be home base for this morning, for next Sunday, and the Sunday after that. Really, Isaiah 55 is going to be our primary text each Sunday morning between now and March the 9th when our Life Action Summit um, begins. But I want to point something out here in Luke chapter 8. I want you to see a difference between two groups of people. One is a response to Jesus when the man with the demon possession was healed, and then the response of a group of people when Jesus came to their location. So, so look at Luke verse chapter 8 and verse 37. This is right after Legion had been defeated by Jesus. Jesus gloriously demonstrating his power right over demonic forces. Demons are stronger than you, but not stronger than Jesus. That was one of our major points that, that, um, that morning. It says in Luke 8 verse 37, Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. Jesus had come with great power, and their response to him was they asked him to leave, to depart, to get out of there. They didn't want him near anymore. Now look at Luke chapter 8, verse 40. So, by the way, Jesus obliged them. When they asked him to leave, he left. It says that. So he got into a boat and returned. Now Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all waiting for him. And as you begin to read through Luke 8, and we studied through it, the woman with the bleeding and then the Jairus and her daughter, his daughter rather, raised back to life. Jesus began to demonstrate great power and there was healing. There was the dead coming back to life. And that's a, that's a physical picture of what Jesus can do spiritually. There's some significant spiritual issues that Jesus can bring healing to. So the reason I'm calling your attention to this text is we've talked, talked, talking about Life Action Summit is that our crowd, our audience, if you will, is going to be one of these ways or the other. Either we'll have a posture that's really saying, well, we don't really want Jesus around here. We don't want him to depart. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think our case is going to be we, we want to welcome him. We want to wait for him. We want him to come in power. We want, to come, we want him to come in authority. We want him to bring healing. Healing to families. Healing to marriages. Healing to relationships. Healing to, to our own souls. Healing to, uh, to those of us who are just caught up in the rut of life. You know what I mean? I had two people use this phrase with me this week. I just feel like I'm in the rat race, right? I mean, just going, 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 going. And Jesus will step in the midst of all of that and do what only Jesus can do. And that's really bring life. And so with that in mind, how how do we wait for him and how do we welcome him? Well, that's why I've asked you to turn to Isaiah 55, and that's going to be home base for us Sunday, February 9th, 16th, 23rd, and and March the 2nd, because Isaiah's uh, chapter here, Isaiah 55, I think, gives us insight into a posture for our lives where Jesus could come and do a great work. 
I was watching the highlights of the Super Bowl last week, and depending on your take on it, it was either really great or really bad. It wasn't much of a game, uh, 43 to 8, right? The Seahawks just kind of rolled over the Denver Broncos. But I was watching the highlights of the game, and something happened right at the beginning of the highlight package that caught my attention. And I found myself thinking about things in kind of a strange fashion, and it was this, that at the very beginning of the game, probably the highlight for the Denver Broncos was when they ran out onto the field before the game even began. And before they ran out on the field, um, they're, they're the Denver Broncos. They have the mascot. It's this uh, uh, awesome white stallion horse. I mean, a real horse, not somebody up in a uniform or in a, in a costume, like a real horse. And I was watching the highlight package, and, and before the Broncos ran out on the field, this horse ran out onto the field. And my mind worked strangely, and here was my thought. Because, because the game was played at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. At Denver's home games, this horse is always there, and they have this big thing, and he runs out in the field, midfield. And tr- My question was, how did that horse get from Denver, Colorado, to MetLife Stadium in New Jersey? I mean, this is the question that, that was occupying my mind. I mean, I mean, the horse is always in Denver. Now they're in right outside of New York City at the Meadowlands of New Jersey. Did somebody ride that horse there? I mean, did, did, did they just tell him, hey, we're going to go to did some, so How did that happen? So, so it kind of bothered me a little bit. And so uh, I do what anybody in 2014 does. I Googled it, right, uh, to find out what happened. And, and you know how they got the horse? One word. I think it's one word. FedEx. They FedExed the horse from Denver to New Jersey. And I just, I just had to chuckle to myself and just wonder how that, how that went down, right? You just call somebody, you just call FedEx up? And so they shipped him from Denver, Colorado to Memphis, Tennessee. And I immediately thought, I worked at FedEx in Memphis, Tennessee. When I was, lived in Memphis, Tennessee while I was in seminary, uh, the, the hub, world headquarters of FedEx is in Memphis. So almost everybody who lives in Memphis at one time or another has to work at FedEx. And I used to, I used to work there, not really, but kind of. Um, 10 o'clock at night till 6 in the morning. And I remember one night in particular, I was working there, moving boxes. I mean, uh, you got, I mean it's busy. You've got to move all these stuff. And, and, and I looked up, and there in this huge crate was an elephant. I mean, seriously, it was a real-life elephant. And we both, you know, we looked at the boss started yelling at us, get back to work. Because you don't, you, that doesn't happen every day, right? You're just working, and he looked up in this huge elephant, and they're moving it with the, I don't even know how they're moving it, you know, uh, going to put it on an airplane and I, and I just asked somebody what in the world I mean who's sending this and so oh, that's the that's the Barnum and Bailey the circus you know so they're going to have in Raleigh soon so if, I don't know I don't, you know. anyway one night I was working there and at my feet I looked down and thousands of crickets were just going over my feet it looked like one of the plagues of Egypt I mean all these that's what in the world's happened here oh the box came undone it was a bait of some sort you know the uh, uh, prison break for the crickets right they were getting getting out of there and um, uh, the, the guy said something to the, to the effect my boss said, well, at FedEx, we don't want to be able to say you can ship just about anything. And I think that's just about right, right? Whether it's the horse, which I guess he had to get back to Denver. Maybe they left him there after that game, right? He's still <laughs> at the Meadowlands, crickets. So we're, we're asking God to send us revival, and it does not come by FedEx. We can't call somebody up on the phone and just say, can you deliver overnight package of revival? Revival, the, de- the, the, the dictionary definition, re, again, vive, life. Give us life again. Give, give us life again. Isaiah 55 can't come by FedEx. <laughs> we, can't, we can't put it on the calendar. And sometimes we call it that. We're going to have revival services. That's actually kind of presumptuous of us. 
Because we can't bring revival. We can't make it happen. It's not a program. It's not this thing we're going to have. It's something we're asking God to bring. Because only God can bring revival. But what Isaiah 55 is, it's not the FedEx phone number, but it does present to us some teachings from the Scripture of some things that we can practically do to sort of put ourselves in position. I, I like what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, about the ways of God. It's sort of like the wind, right? The wind will go where it wants to. And I think what Isaiah 55 will at least tell us is where to position the sails, right? The wind's going to come and blow. At least we can put the sails over in this correct position. So let's read the entire chapter. And really for our purposes this morning, we're going to emphasize the first three verses. But let's read the whole chapter. Isaiah is prophesying um, 750 plus years before the birth of Jesus. So, So when we read this chapter, you're reading some ancient words. Some ancient words, and one definition I've heard of revival that I like is revival is new obedience to old truth. So Isaiah 55 has got some old truth, and what we want is fresh, new, 2014, right here, right now, obedience to this, to this text. So Isaiah 55, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall, call, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know, that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord for us. The heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray together. Father, help us now from these ancient words written long ago for us, first of all, to recognize they have significant implications for us right here and right now. And we are asking boldly in Jesus' name for revival, for a fresh move of of God, for healing, for restoration, for, for briars and thorns to be replaced with myrtles and cypresses in Isaiah's language. And you can do that. This text we just read says that you will do that. So help us this morning to be an understanding people. And I pray you give us grace to have a desire for revival. That you'd even now begin to place in our hearts a a longing for more than what we often choose to settle for in life. That you'd rescue us from the rat race. 
just from survival mode living, just trying to get through another day and see for us, give us grace to see that Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly, that we'd go forth in joy and peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to focus on these first three verses here. And the first thing that we see here is that there is a remarkable invitation. Look at verse 1, and a word there is used on two occasions, and I want you to notice that it's God who's speaking. And you see that verse 1, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He actually uses it three times. Uh, Come, buy and eat. Okay, I'm really bad at math. uses it four times. (laughs) Come uh, Come by wine and milk. Do you see Jesus saying, over and over and over, or the Lord saying over and over and over, come over here, come over here, come over here. It's a remarkable invitation. You ever get an invitation in the mail, right? Either it's a wedding or a birthday party or some sort of something, and, and it's got an RSVP, right, usually. And uh, you either call a number, say you can come and you can't come. When you get that invitation, by and large, your response to the invitation is your relationship with whoever's inviting you, right? Uh, there's some invitations that you get and you wouldn't miss it for the world, right? There is no way we're, we're marking that on the calendar. There's no way that we're missing that. As soon as it shows up in the mail, there's no competition for that day. And then sometimes you receive an invitation and you're sort of indifferent to it. And then sometimes you get an invitation and you're like, I'm definitely not going to that. Isaiah 55, the Lord is inviting you. So let me just ask you a question. When you hear that, What do you hear? The Lord's inviting you. What's your response to it? Is it excitement? Is it, oh, okay, I'm I'm in tune with this. Or is it indifference? Um, Come everyone who thirsts. Your response to an invitation is determined by what you think about the person who is inviting you. Have you, on the flip side, ever given an invitation and nobody showed up? (laughs) One of my, it's funny now. (laughs) One one of my heartaches was my seven-year-old birthday party. I lived in Fayetteville, North Carolina, invited my whole third or fourth grade class to my birthday party at Putt-Putt in Fayetteville. I mean, Putt-Putt's a great place. It was back then. And I just knew everybody was going to come. I got to the party, started at 10 in the morning, and, uh, and nobody came. And I thought it must have been, you know, I started asking my mom, did we print the invitation wrong, right? Are we here at the wrong time? Now, there were some other people there. They were my two brothers. And um, just the truth be told, they had to be there, right? They, they were not there by choice. And, and then um, this, whole, <laughs> this whole, they had the party room, the putt-putt party room. It's all set up. And there's, placemat, there's, there's placemats for 25 people. And we walk in there, and I can remember the person in charge, the putt-putt party planning person. Right? They come, and, and they said this statement. I can remember it almost you know, 25-plus years later. Is this all that's showing up? They asked me that. I'm seven years old. And you have that moment where you, you just choked up and you're, you know, this tears are coming. And you're like, uh, I, I guess. I don't know. Finally, this one girl, I think her mom made her come. She, she showed up. And he got all these tickets, all this stuff. You ever invited somebody to something and they didn't come? Here's the Lord inviting people to come. Let me go on and tell you how it worked out in Isaiah's day. They didn't come. Isaiah's prophesying to a religious people in a day when they were familiar with the teachings of God, but they didn't really have an interest in hearing from God. In Isaiah's day, the the prophet Isaiah, he gives this cry out, this invitation from God himself, calm everyone, and they were just busy about other things. Just more engaged in day-to-day living. 
the scripture here says, come everyone who, who thirsts. So first of all, you see here, it's a remarkable invitation. And then one other word on invitation. Have you ever, have you ever not been invited? Has it ever happened that something was going on and, and you didn't get the invitation? Talk about heartache in my life. One of the hardest things I've ever had to watch was my son when he was about three years old and his sister had been invited to a party. <laughs> and Julie and I already knew potentially how this would work. And so we were, honestly, we were trying to smuggle Mary Clara out of the house the day of the party. And the party was at, um, I believe it was at Chuck E. Cheese, which I'm just going to tell you for a three-year-old, I mean, that's like being invited to the Queen of England's house or something. I mean, you, Chuck E. Cheese? I get to go eat that pizza with the, you know, the mouse himself, right? And, and I was trying to occupy Abel, and Julie, kind of behind a coat, was trying to get Mary Claire out of the house. And then Abel looked up, and he saw it. And then he began to see his eyes working. And he asked the question, where is she going? We're not going to lie to my child, right? So, so I tell him. She's going to a birthday party. And then he immediately asked this question, where? And we said, Chuck E. Cheese. And he stood up and he started to put his shoes on. And then I knew what was coming. <laughs> I said, well, buddy, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> but you're not invited. And you could almost hear the heart breaking. You could almost hear this heart crumbling into a thousand pieces. And this look on his face. I'm not invited. And you've seen a tantrum, right, before from a three-year-old. But this wasn't a tantrum of anger. This was a tantrum of devastation. And here's, I remember it clear as day. He goes, he goes, between sobs, he says, when it's my birthday, I'm inviting everybody. That's what he said. Look at Isaiah 55.1. Would you look at the word there? It's an important word. Second word in the, in the verse. Come, what's it say? Your text says all. My text says everyone. You see the invitation? It's not for them over there. It's not for that group or that group. The invitation that God's giving is for everyone. For everyone. So, so, so you're invited. <laughs> you're invited. Not, not just to the life action. Somebody, you're invited to know him. You're invited to walk with him. And, and, and there's an interesting, there's an interesting uh, disclaimer. It says, come everyone. And then this qualifier, if you will. Who thirsts? Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And it's good news that if you're thirsty, he's got water, right? I mean, it'd be terrible if you had thirst and he had no solution. You know what the solution is for thirst? It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's water. And we're not talking about just physical water. We're talking about deeper things here in Isaiah 55. Are you thirsty? Throughout the scripture, God carries this metaphor because we need physical metaphors to teach us about spiritual truth because it's hard for us to talk, start with the spiritual. We're born spiritually blind, for one. So, so often God will use a, a physical description for something that's deeper. Have you ever been incredibly, incredibly thirsty? We're so blessed in America. I mean, you can walk out the back door and we got three or four water fountains right here. We got bottled water in the office. We got water, water everywhere. But I've been in places of the world where they don't. And you see the, the dry mouth and the swollen tongue. What real thirst is. And that's what we're talking about, not in a physical uh, meaning, but in a spiritual meaning. 
Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, he says. It's an invitation. It's a remarkable invitation. It's for everybody, and those who are most likely to respond to the invitation are those who most thirst. So everyone gets invited, and he says, uh, and he who has no money, this is interesting, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So it's an invitation to come and buy something, but you don't actually need money to buy it. Now, the metaphor is, is the basics for living. You're going to have to have two things. You're going to have to have something to drink, and you're going to have to have something to eat. And so God is saying what you basic, most basically need, I've got available, and it's going to come to you without price, without cost. Not because it's not valuable, but because you wouldn't have enough money to purchase it. And this gets back to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, or thereabouts. No, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. And that's, that's carrying forward this. Those who come and buy from God, but they don't have the money, they recognize they can't purchase it, so it's given to them. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And, and so first of all, we see this remarkable invitation. And then secondly, in verse 2, I want you to see that there's a revealing question. There's a revealing question. He asks, it's a great question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? So that's a good question, isn't it? And it's not just for them at that time, it's the question for us right now. So, so uh, it's a revealing question in this matter. Let me just ask it to you. What have you spent your money on this week? And what are you working towards? Right? What, what, what are you spending your money on? And then what are, you, what are you working towards? He says, you spend your money for that which is not bread. In other words, that which doesn't really bring life. We're still talking about physical and spiritual things at the same time, right? You're investing in things that don't bring life and your labor, and this is an interesting phrase, for that which does not satisfy. There are counterfeit water wells everywhere. And you are constantly, you are constantly told to go drink from that well or drink from that well or drink from that well or drink over there in that well. But all those wells that aren't of the Lord, can I just tell you, they're poisoned. (laughs) They are not going to satisfy. It's sort of like drinking salt water. The more you drink from them, it's just the thirstier that you get. Um, I was uh, talking to a young lady the other day. And we've talked about this before, but I could already see her life opening up before her in this, in this matter. One of the reasons I love being with my young children is they're just in that wonderful season of life where it's just like bliss. You know what I mean? It's just like you don't have to worry about a lot. You just play all day. I mean, I thought about my son's day yesterday. From the time he got up to the time he went to bed, it was just awesome. He just played with Legos, went to this, had somebody feed him his lunch, you know, this, that, uh, this, that, or the other. It's just a very small uh, season of life that you can do that because you start getting all these questions asked of you as you get older. And I find myself asking this young lady this question. She's a senior in, in high school, so I, here was my question. Where are you going to go to college next year, right? Because we were already talking about that. So, so here's how it goes. You want to talk about the rat race? Here's the rat race. You ready for the rat race? Where are you going to go to college? 
You've got to answer that question, right? Give me your plan. Give me your plan. Where are you going? Now, she's going to make a plan or a decision. She's got three options, and then she's going to make that, and then you're going to get to college. You know what next happens next? What are you going to major in? What are you going to study? What are you going to do? And you've got a couple of years to figure that question out, and you know what the next question is? Where are you going to work? What have you got lined up? Now, these aren't bad questions, right? You need to know the answers to these questions. But what begins to happen is you start to focus on this grind. This, this, now, now you get a job. Oh, boy. You ready for the next question? When are you going to get married? I don't, I don't know. You get married. You, 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 you take a sigh of relief. Okay, finally. Everybody can stop asking me that question, right? And then you get married. You ready for the next question? You already know what it is, don't you? What is it? When are you going to have children? What? Now I'm going to have children? <laughs> What are you going to name them? <laughs> you have one. When are you going to have the next? And then before long, where are your children going to college? You see, it's a cycle, right? What are they going to study? When are you going to get the promotion? When are you going to have grandchildren? When are you going to retire? <laughs> and then what's the question? Yeah, what, what, what happens next? And you can spend, listen to me, you can spend your whole life trying to answer everybody else's question. Or you can spend your life responding to this invitation to come to me, all who are thirsty. And, and the point of, point of that is you can spend that whole time thirsting, 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 thirsting. Can I give you another metaphor real fast? Is that too often we mistake, um, <laughs> let, let me use it this way. Here's my water bottle. I try, I, I'm trying to be healthy in life, and I'm supposed to drink about eight of these a day, right? Eight. And uh, we, we mistake what holds the water for the water. So, so what do you mean by that? There are, there are good things in life. Marriage is a good thing, but marriage isn't the water. Marriage is a vessel that holds the water, right? The water is the gospel. The water is the word of God. So, so my marriage is satisfying to, with Julie, who I love to death, only to the extent that it's filled up with the real water. Your, your job's a great thing. Work hard at it. Be good at it. Be, be irreplaceable in your work of occupation. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all for the glory of God. Where you go to college, it's great. All those sorts of things. But they're just, they're just containers that you put the water in. Now, this uh, doesn't have any water in it, I don't think. Good. <laughs> And so many people are like this. This is how they spend their life. Uh, just give me something to drink. But it's not the water. Come to me all who thirst. Come. Come to the waters. Answer this question. I'll be happy when, and now you fill in the blank. And when you fill in the blank, you're answering a second question. What are you trying to get to satisfy your thirst? And if... Can I give you an encouragement? If you answer the question, I'll be happy when, with anything other than I walk with God, you've got something in your life that the Bible defines as an idol. An idol is trying to get from something, somebody, what only God can give you. And it's that little bitty word here at the end of the remarkable question. And your labor for that which does not satisfy. God's got a monopoly on satisfaction. Hey, let me ask you a, a simple question. What do you need more in your life? Water 
or diamonds? <laughs> what do you need more in your life, water or diamonds? So, it's water, right? Let me answer the, the question. Next question, which is more expensive? It's actually not water, is it? Even though that's what you really need. So, so why is it that if you really need water, that diamonds are more expensive? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Now, how would that, how would that scenario change? Well, it's the old economic law of supply and demand, right? If all of a sudden there was a water shortage, and we just heard about one up in West Virginia, right? All of a sudden, depending on how short, how significant the shortage of water is, which would be more expensive? If there's not a whole lot of water around, you know what? The price would skyrocket because it's what you actually need. And that's what Isaiah the prophet's getting at, is what you, what you most need, God is going to give to you if you'll come if you'll come to him the most scarce commodity on earth is actually not diamonds you know what the most scarce commodity in all the world is satisfaction contentment getting up in the morning and saying all well we just sang it (laughs) you can have all this world just give me jesus and i've Pray that that's a true (laughs) response in your life. Um, So we have a remarkable invitation. We have a revealing question. And then the last thing is we have an attentive response. Look in verse uh, 2. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. I want to do a little object uh, lesson with you, and that is going to be right here in Isaiah. I want you to look at Isaiah 51. So if you're in Isaiah 55, just go back a few verses, or a few chapters rather. We're just going to read some words and phrases. We're not going to read full text. I just want you to see something because Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, When we pick up in Isaiah 55, he's right in the middle of of doing something significant, and I want you to see it. In Isaiah 55, 1, don't be bashful about it. Just somebody speak out the first word that you see in Isaiah 51, 1, sorry. Listen, right? Listen to me. All right, look in verse 4. What's the first word that you see? Listen. It's actually a different word uh, in the Hebrew. Give, Give attention to me. So in some ways he's saying the same thing, but in a different way. What does verse 6 say? First phrase. Lift up your eyes. All right, so we went from listening that you do with the ears to look up that you do with what? With the eyes. How about verse 7? Hear me. How about verse 9? Awake. Awake. How about verse 17? Wake yourself. Wake yourself. You already picked up on where we're going, right? 52.1. Awake yourself. Awake, awake. Uh, uh, 55. And we're just doing a brief synopsis of this. We're not looking at every example. 55.1. Come to me. 55.2. Listen diligently to me. 55.3. Incline your ear. Hear. 
Listen to me. Have you ever tried to get somebody's attention and you just can't quite get their attention? Sometimes uh, one of my children is so involved in watching Curious George that I come along and say, hey, listen, listen. Look over here. Yoo-hoo, right? You you almost have to go up and like shake them. Don't you see that's what Isaiah is doing? All through this text. Hey, up here. Look at me. Look look here. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. And uh, by the way, there is a big climax to this. It's Isaiah 53, or excuse me, 52, 13. All right, so we're building, building, building. And it's all before this text and then all after. So can I just show you something real fast? Here's what Isaiah prophesying 780 years before the birth of Christ. He's trying to get everybody to look at. It it climaxes in verse 13 of chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and he shall be exalted as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Go go down to 53, verse 2. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one for men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. All we have turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. 780 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah was saying, look here, look, awake, awake, listen to me. Here's where you need to give your attention and the object is Jesus. Jesus. Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Awake about who Jesus is. He's going to come. He's going to bear your grief, your sorrow, your sin. We've all gone astray, but listen to me. He's coming, and I have the great privilege of telling you this morning, He has come. He has done everything that Isaiah prophesied that He would do. Revival begins with listening. Do you know why Isaiah has to say all these things in his own day and why we have to say them this day? Because we are slow to give God our attention. Think of all the things that stream out for your attention on a daily basis. There's not been a day that I've briefly cut on the news that it didn't say, breaking news! It's constantly screaming out for you. The game's tonight! right? Revival... To say this simply, revival begins with listening. If we take Isaiah 55 and you just pay attention to the verbs, it starts with come, come here, come over here. And then the first thing God tells us to do when we do come is to listen to him. So can I give you, um, can I give you two simple barriers to revival? Number one is we don't come to him. Remember Luke 8? They asked him to depart. Get out of here. Leave us alone. In your life right now, honest, honest to God, in your life, which is more true of your heart? That you're asking him just to kind of leave me alone, just depart from here, I got this under control, I'm good, get out of here. Or you're waiting for him. You're welcoming to him. So, so, so one, we'll do, do it both, both ways. <laughs> a principle to foster an atmosphere of revival is that we come to him. And can I say this? It's impossible to come to him without leaving some things behind. 
Anytime there's an invitation, it's twofold. One is it's inviting you to something, and it's at the same time inviting you away from something. Now, here's the barrier, biggest barrier I see in my own life and as a uh, praying over the scripture. The biggest barrier to revival is we want to come to him and not leave something behind. We want it both ways, right? We want up and down. We want right and left. Yes, Lord, I want to come to you, but I don't want to come away from this. You can only drink from one well. He's saying, I've got water. You're going to have to leave that well behind. What, what is the well that you're drinking from? And what is it if the Lord would say, you've got, <laughs> you got to lay that down. Come and buy for me and eat. I was a real romantic uh, all through my courting of Julie and, uh, um, and, the, and even in the early years of our marriage and try to be to this, to this day. When we were married our first year, we were coming up on our six-month anniversary. And so I decided we need to do something nice. So I planned a little getaway trip. We lived in Memphis at the time, and so we traveled down to this uh, little bed and breakfast, and we were going to eat dinner there that night. And, uh, uh, you know, in those days, you just you sit down, and it's a candlelit meal. Not in those days. I'm still trying, y'all. Okay, I'm painting a terrible portrait of myself. And everybody's feeling sorry for Julie, which, you know, probably should. I don't know. So, so this candlelit meal, this nice quaint place. And, man, it was so nice. And then the menu comes. And uh, I order the steak. I asked the guy, what's the best thing on the menu? He said, the steak. And Julie's so, so awesome. She, she says, well, that sounds good, but, you know, I'll try to get something that's not quite as, exp- as expensive on the, on the menu. So she ordered the, the grilled chicken. And, man, I'm going to tell you what, those meals came, and he put that steak before me, and I almost fainted. I was like, this is, it's always dangerous to use a food illustration this close to lunch, so let's, let's try to. It was, without a doubt, to this day, the best steak I'd ever had in my life. Perfectly cooked, perfectly marinated. I'm, well, I'm, I need to plan a trip for us to go back. I'm all right. <laughs> and then I looked over at Julie, and she had the grilled chicken. And the grilled chicken was okay, I mean. But it was grilled chicken. I mean, grilled chicken every day. And, 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 then, and then I saw a little look in her eyes. And she said, you mind if I try the steak? <laughs> I said, sure. So I cut off this, you know, little corner edge. Right? <laughs> no, not quite like that. And she, she took a bite of steak, and she agreed with me. Best steak I've ever tasted. And then here's the question, follow-up question. You want to try my chicken? You know what I said? No. I don't think I do. Next question. Can I have a little bit more of your steak? I said, sure. God's offering us something better. He's offering us steak. And, and it's not even like we're settling for the grilled chicken. It's less than that. We, we, we settle for the garbage that they throw out oftentimes. But do you know what's true of moldy garbage bread? If you're hungry enough, you'll eat it. If that's all that you've got. Here's what Isaiah is saying. That's not all that you've got. Come to me. Come to me who are thirsty. Come to the waters. He said, well, man, that steak is great, but it costs too much. He who has no money, come on, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, 
without price. Why do you spend your money on that worthless, garbage, moldy bread? And all your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen. Here's the response then. If, you're, if you, you, know, you get to RSVP, right? You get an invitation, you're going to respond. Here's how you respond if you're going to say yes. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in rich food. Now, that's what I was doing at the stake. I was just delighting myself in rich food. And it was satisfying. It tasted good. And as soon as I tasted it, it, uh, it put all the other competitors out of my mind. That's how the Lord is. If you really know him, if you really trust him, if you really walk with him, you already know what I'm saying is it's better. Now, can I just tell you, can I just tell you, if you're in a position in your life where you say, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I believe that or not. I don't know if the Lord's better. Here's what Paul prayed. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. We sang that at the beginning, right? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. This is where the song comes from. It's Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to know the hope to which you have been called. What Paul is saying is I pray God gives you the grace. If you don't know yet that he's better, the only explanation is is you haven't really seen him. You haven't really seen him for who he really is. It's what Isaiah is saying. Incline your ear and come to me. Here, that your soul may live. Here's this promise, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. And in conclusion, I just call your attention to those words, because you don't hear them a lot. There's not a lot of uh, things in our culture, in our world, that we could describe this way. Everlasting? Steadfast? And sure. So, and we're wrapping up. Everybody's drinking from a well, metaphorically speaking. I don't know what your well is. It might be your job. It might be your family. It might be a relationship. It might be some hope of this is going to happen or if this happens or when this happens. Or it's one of those questions that we ask. Where are you going to go to school? Where are you going to major in? Where are you going to get a job? When are you going to get married? When are you going to have children? When, 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 when? If, 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 if. I think the devil's favorite words are when and if. It just leads to wasted time. If this happens, if this happens, when this happens, when this happens. You know what uh, the Lord's favorite word is? Come to me. <laughs> Come to me. So a couple of concluding, concluding um, applications. When it comes to the Life Action Summit, I'm just going to use that same word that he uses there in Isaiah 55.1. Come. You're invited. Everybody. Come. But as you come, listen diligently. Incline your ear. Uh, I like what one preacher said. He says, we've all either got inclined ears or reclined ears. <laughs> you incline. What is it? Incline, incline your ear. Reclined ears, you just <laughs> taking a nap spiritually. Hear that your soul may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. There's only one will. That's everlasting. There's only one well that's steadfast. There's only one well that's sure. It's the well of God's word. And the glorious invitation is that you'd respond, uh, respond to it. One thing that my wife does that I, that I love is when she gets invited to things and they get a little RSVP card in it, and it usually got, you know, here's such and such date, or will you be able to attend yes or no? My wife, um, my wife always responds to the invitation, and then, and then she writes a note. Now, I've never seen anybody do this until my wife, she, she, she got invited to a, we got invited to a, no, we actually both got invited to a wedding not long ago, and she checked yes, and then I watched her, she wrote just the sweetest note, can't wait to be there, so excited, praying for you, 
And, and I'm saying that because when we talk about this invitation, I want you doctors to say, yes, I'm going to respond even more. I'm looking forward to it. I'm good. There was a crowd that begged him to withdraw. There was a crowd that welcomed him and had been waiting for him. And what Jesus did in the midst of those crowds was in direct connection to how they had postured and leveraged their time and attention for him. So here's the, attention, here's the invitation. The invitation is the RSVP to the invitation. And I don't know how you're going to respond to that. I didn't give you an RSVP card. It's not between you and me. It's between you and the Lord. Would you just begin to say in your heart, I'm going to, I'm going to either clear my schedule or this, that, or the other. I'm going to purpose to be here. I'm going to come and drink the living water. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray together. And um, we're going to have a time of invitation. A time of invitation for you to simply respond. And that can happen any certain number of ways. It might be a time of confession for you in your life to say, I'm drinking from a well, and I'll just go in and tell you, it's not satisfying. <laughs> and you might just want to confess to the Lord, Lord, I'm drinking from the wrong well. I keep gulping and gulping, and all it does is make me more and more thirsty. I need revival. You remember this? That John Myers gave us a piece of chalk, right? And he said, you draw a circle, and then you stand in the circle, and your prayer is, Lord, help the revival to begin in me. Maybe you just reiterate that again this morning. Or you might just come and kneel at the front. You might, I, I, I'm, I don't want to tell you how to respond. <laughs> I want the Holy Spirit to tell you how to respond. But you may come in humility and just kneel before the Lord and say, I, I want to drink from your well, Lord. Your response might be, I'm drinking from the well of the Lord, and I want to just express to him worship and gratitude that it is satisfying water. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to respond to this time of invitation in a way that glorifies the Savior. We all glorify the well we drink from. And we want to be a people who say, this is where the water is to be found. Clean water, pure water, living water, Jesus said of himself. He who drinks from this well will never thirst again forever. So thank you for the living water that is the Lord Jesus. And I pray that you'd help us to to, um, to be waiting and welcoming. When the Life Action Team comes, I pray they find a people that are humble before the Lord and want to hear and want to drink deeply from the well that is the Word of God. Lead us to respond in a way that glorifies you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.